Well, it wasn't very long ago that one of our members died and, and went up to heaven. And she was met there at the pearly gates by, by St. Peter. And St. Peter offered to show her around the heavenly area. And she said, that would be wonderful. I would, I would like that. And so he showed her the streets paved with gold and the mansions where people had rooms and the throne room of God. And as they walked, they went by a building that had a clock in the front of it. And she said, well, St. Peter, this is, time is eternity now. What's the deal with the clock there? And Peter said, well, come in, I'll show you. It's a very special room. So they walked in and in this room were millions of clocks and every clock had somebody's name on it. But what was also strange were they were all going at different speeds. And she said, Peter, what's, what's the deal here? He said, well, you need to understand there's a clock up here for every person who lives on earth. And every time they sin, the minute hand starts to go around. And that's why some are going faster than others. And she said, well, that's interesting. I wonder what our pastoral staff at Christ Church of Oakbrook is doing with that. So she went over and um, saw Pastor Dan's clock, and it, it was doing okay, you know, with nothing to be worried about. Uh, Pastor Rick's clock was about the same way, and she went through the whole staff and, and said, well, you know, we, we have a new pastor on staff. His name's Dave Bianchin. I don't see his clock here. Peter said, oh, it's in the next room. We're using it for a fan. I love the Thanksgiving holiday. It's such a unique day. It's a day which we gather together to, to give thanks to God, to recognize God's providence, and to thank God for the blessings that we have. And I love that it was instituted as a time not only of generally giving thanks, but a time of giving thanks to God. Abraham Lincoln wrote this in his 1863 proclamation. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and even soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of Almighty God. No human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as the day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father. Now, almost every nation, including ours, has a day we celebrate as an Independence Day, which we celebrate our freedom and, and have been able to move into the future that God has for us. But what I love about Thanksgiving is that it is what I would call a Dependence Day, that we declare our dependence upon the Lord God in gratitude for what he has done, and we are invited to name then the thanksgivings that God has given to us. Now, I believe that nothing nourishes the soul more than expressing gratitude. I know that seems a little counterintuitive because it does feel good to receive gratitude from other people. But there's something fundamental about examining who we are on the inside and expressing it then to those around us. Jesus talked a lot about what comes from the inside of us and goes out. And while it's a blessing, I know it's not always easy. This is a difficult day for some people, perhaps even today. Circumstances sometimes work against us. Sometimes our health is not what we would like it to be. Relationships fail or are lost. And just generally fear can at times rob us 
of the joy and grace to have a thankful perspective. The Bible text this morning is a model for us of gratitude. It's a model of gratitude expressed out of the soil of a difficult and and hard circumstance on the part of, of these people. So I'd like to read from you now from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Listen to the word of God. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God with a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I see three movements in this passage I'd like us to look at before we move into the application of it. In the first movement, ten men, they're lepers, one at least is a Samaritan, call out to Jesus and appeal to him for help. Now, lepers were people who were completely rejected in the society that they lived in. No one could associate with them because they were afraid of getting the disease, and they could not go to worship in the temple because they were considered unclean. But they call out to Jesus and they appeal to him because it would be a big deal for them to be healed. They're isolated, they're in physical pain. Uh, It's just an awful way to live. Jesus answers them in kind of an oblique way. He doesn't say anything about them being healed. At first, he says, go show yourselves to the priests. And so, they pause for a moment, they start to go, and as we think about their situation, we think of what a momentous occasion the promise of this could have been for them that they could be possibly relieved of their pain, welcomed back into the friends and and family and communities that they were part of, and begin to lead what we would call a normal life. Any of us who have been isolated or or shunned at any time or, or have experienced prejudice know that it's a difficult thing to get up every day and not be welcomed into the community. So the first thing we learn is that Jesus has compassion and desires for them to be healed. Now, it's clear from the text that somehow, after Jesus says this, they know they've been healed. And so he says to go show themselves to the priest, and they just go. They go right away, and and we can hardly blame them in some ways because this was a big change for them. It was the time where they were going to be healed. But one of them, as he goes, realizes he's now okay, and he can't go any farther. He has to come back to Jesus and express to him his gratitude, so he falls down at Jesus' feet, which is an act of worship, and he thanks Jesus. And I think what we learn in the second part of this movement is that gratitude has urgency to it. We must give our thanks when we have opportunity, because that opportunity may be gone. That opportunity may never come again. We may never have opportunity to see the people again that we thank. Something may happen to us. And so while we have a moment to do it, we're invited to express our thanks. 
In the third movement, the leper is told to rise up and go and tells, tell others, and Jesus sends him back out into the world. But before he does, he adds what I would call a bonus to the man. He notes that all of them have been cured of the disease. But he says to this man, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So there's something that happens to him that doesn't happen to the other ones. And I don't know if it's by Jesus' proclamation and his power, or if it's because the man returned to give thanks and in doing so gained a wholeness to his life that the other nine did not have opportunity to experience. And so what we learn about this is that gratitude is meant to be shared with others. Now I think there's a big difference between being not sick and being well or being whole. You and I know people who are the picture of physical health, but they're mean, they're self-absorbed, they're manipulative, they don't care about other people, they go about their lives as if the center of the world is them and it revolves around them. And that's not a good way to live. It's not, it's, it's healed, but it's not whole. And so when we learn to receive from Jesus what he's done for us, and then go out into the world to express that, there's a wholeness that comes to us that's special. We are in a three-week series of gratitude, and today we're looking at gratitude in the present, today, right now. I'd like us to think of the things I'd like to share with you now in regard to right now. The first is this. When we're grateful, our eyes are opened to the goodness of God. Gratitude brings a perspective that, that nothing else does. When we live out of the posture of gratitude, we see the power of God and the love of God expressed on our behalf. And when we're grateful, we have perspective on who God is. It fills us and allows us to relate to people in a different way than we would have otherwise. I believe that the, the key to everything in our lives, if we want to grow in, in faith, hope, and love, is growing in our vision of who God is. Because when we see God as big as he is, then we know we can trust him. We can give our lives fully to him. We can be grateful for the things that we have. As I read from our call to worship this morning, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So God's greatness and goodness are worthy of our gratitude and I think there's a tendency to think of that generally, but as our eyes are opened then, we can see more clearly the blessings that we have. And that's the second point I'd like to make. When we're grateful, we can see clearly the blessings that we already have. The Apostle Paul led a wonderful, significant life, but it wasn't easy. And in his letter to the Philippians, he talks about his attitude of, of how he goes about his life and says this in Philippians chapter four. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, Paul is a realist. He, he is he has faced all the circumstances of life and more that you and I have experienced. And I don't think he's saying, I'd love to stay in prison the rest of my life. I don't think he's saying, I'd like to be shipwrecked again. I'd like to be beaten again. He's saying, regardless of what has happened to me, I have learned through the power of God to be content with what God gives me. 
And I think looking at the world from the posture of gratitude helps us with the the goals that we have. I I think that the aspiration to, to have more and to do more is a good one, but unrestrained ambition can be a very destructive thing. When we see it in the context of God's gifts to us, it softens it for us and we can be thankful for what we have. I, I love the story of the immigrant shopkeeper who was working in his shop one day when his, his son walked in. And his son, who was a CPA, said to him, Dad, I don't like how you're running the shop. Your accounts receivables are in a cigar box. Your accounts uh, due are on a spindle. Your money's all in the cash register. You don't have any idea what your, what your profits are. And his dad said, son, let me tell you, when I came to this country many years ago, all I owned was the shirt on my back and the pants I was wearing. Today, you're a CPA. Your sister is a doctor. Your brother is an art teacher. Your mother and I own a house, and we drive a car, and we have this little shop. Add all that up, subtract the shirt and the pants, and there's your profit. (laughs) That sense of not counting beans for everything, if you will, not looking at what we don't have, but looking at the blessings that we have. When we're grateful, we have a perspective on that that we can't see if we're always holding things too tightly. Thirdly, then, when we're grateful, we're free to open up our lives to others around us. Jesus says to the leper, rise up and go. Go mingle with your people. Go tell them what God has done. Now, I would have loved to have followed this leper around for the first week. Wouldn't it have been cool? He would have been skipping and dancing and singing and praising God. He would have been telling everybody what God had done. My guess is he would have had a heart for those people who were poor and had had problems. It would have been a fun thing to walk with him and see the joy that he would not only receive but also share with people around him. Because when we are grateful, we can express it and we must express it. And the cool thing is everybody can express it. We don't need lofty theological language. We don't need to know every Bible verse that's in there. We need a grateful heart, thanksgiving to God, and a few simple words. At our staff break a week ago, our brother Mark, our chief ministry officer, reminded us, he said to us, thanks unspoken is no thanks at all. And I appreciated the clarity of that. I appreciated the reminder that the good and warm and fuzzy feelings we have are nice to have, but they make an impact in the world only when we speak them to those around us and express them to those that need to hear it. A a long time ago, Julie and I led a youth group to a small town in southern Idaho. I had friends, I went to college there and I had some friends in in a different small town. And we took a group of senior high kids there and we ran a vacation Bible school for the week and and it was a really fun time. And my friend Randy was our connection and his brother and his dad also farmed there in the area. That was their their, uh, vocation. And on Sunday afternoon, we went over to to Dan's house, to his father's house. Now, I had been asked to preach as part of the deal of being there for the week, so we sat down in Randy's dad's living room and Randy said, what'd you think of Dave's sermon, Dad? Now, now Dan was this kind of gruff but, but totally great-hearted Idaho farmer. I mean, he said what he thought, and he was just a wonderful guy. So, Dad, what'd you think of Dave's sermon? Dan paused and said, yeah, it was a good sermon. And then Randy said, well, did you think he had it in him? And Dan said, yeah, I was pretty sure he had it in him. 
I wasn't so sure he could get it out. <laughs> and that to me is an illustration of Thanksgiving, to, to think about what we are thankful for and then to get it out. Because gratitude moves us from the interior to the exterior, to those we love and care for, and even to those around us who need to know the love of Christ to who we might run into or who we might plan then to go ahead and serve. So what's our application for today? Well, when should we be grateful? Today. How about right now? I am so impressed in this passage by many things, but most of all, by the urgency that's expressed by the leper. He, he has the promise of going out and being with his family and friends again, but he has to come back and thank Jesus before he goes. I just love his heart and that. So I wanna ask us to do a couple things today. First of all, to think through what you're grateful for. And be specific, write it down if you need to. What am I thankful for? Who am I thankful for? And then I want you to speak it out to somebody. Maybe it's around the dinner table. Maybe it's in a phone call to someone far away. Maybe you feel moved to drive by somebody's house and express it to them there. Maybe it's when you tuck the kids in bed tonight. But sometime today, express your thanks to those near you. There are many memorable Thanksgiving meals in my life, but one of the most memorable was one we shared with Julie's side of the family. We were over in LaGrange, and it was when Julie's mom was still alive, so it was a long time ago, unfortunately. And you need to know that Julie's one of 10 kids, so when we get together, it's not a family gathering, it's a convention. So we were all sitting around this large dining room table, and we were just finishing up the Thanksgiving meal. People were starting to get up from the table, and mom said, you know what, let's just take a few minutes and tell each other what we're thankful for. I don't remember how long it took, it took a while, but it was a wonderful window into the hearts and minds of, of those people I love the most. And so it was a blessing to all of us and it magnified the sense of what a wonderful day it was by doing that. And I would invite you today to do that also. Again, whether it's around your table, through a phone call, but, but connect with people who are near to you and dear to you and offer your thanks specifically. So let's learn from the thankful leper to receive from the Lord all that God has given us, to return then to give thanks, and to rise up and to go and to tell. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, we are so grateful for your grace in our lives. We are so grateful for so many things. Lord, open our eyes to the blessings, first of all, of a relationship with you, and then to the world that you've invited us to serve in your name and the many things that we are thankful for. And help us then to express that. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.